0: all right back in the red room tonight uh this evening uh we have a one-on-one with charlie this evening and we thought we'd get hello. started <laughs> there he hello. is <laughs> hello uh actually i'm really excited because he sat down and uh he said he's got some great ideas for the red room and we want to kind of like hash some of those out sure so yeah let's what, what were you thinking when you sat down and
1: said, uh, okay so let's start with Physically, like the physical suggestion, some interjecting something new. Yeah. I would like to make you a custom table that's got the symbol that you choose, either permanently badged or inked.
0: That's incredibly hot.
1: <laughs> so, it's just a specific <clears throat> to the Ruminations like venture right in the middle of the table or wherever you want it.
0: Oh, I think that's a good spot.
1: Concrete, polished. We can acid stain it black. We could put fiber optic lights in it. <laughs> we could do. We can make it have like underglow, ambient underglow under the table just to make it kind of cool in here.
0: That's super awesome. So, uh,
1: you know, it's really easy. It's not incredibly expensive and uh, you don't have to worry about paying labor for it at all. I'll donate my labor for that.
0: Let's do it. Yeah. You know what would be great is something with, all the, the cables, Dude, yeah, They're we, not very sexy.
1: That's we can. That's easy, really. Yeah. Yes.
0: Because I mean, all the little bits and pieces that we had to buy to get the, the rig up and running. It's want to hide
1: them a little bit. I can make that happen.
0: Okay. Yeah. That's that's. That. that's <laughs> then easy. let's do it. You point me in the direction of the materials and what we need to do. Oh, I, you got it. The concrete table sounds really heavy.
1: Oh, it, it's gonna be heavy. There's no doubt about mm-hmm. it It'll be heavy It'll weigh about 80 pounds Okay, that's not too bad It's not, not what I thought, no uh, It's about It'll be about an inch and a half thick mm-hmm. uh, Probably about this size I don't think you need to go too bigger it's, No, and the know.
0: other concern is Because we also do a little bit of uh, Music recording in here too Where we sit down with uh, Two to three musicians Singers and guitarists So Well, what we could do is We'll put it on wheels
1: So I so can roll. at least roll over this yeah. And give us a little space Yeah that way you won't have to worry about picking it up or anything. We'll put it on something that has wheels on it so you can just move it.
0: That's awesome.
1: That's yeah. <laughs> really hot. Yeah, dude. And then uh, you, we'll look up colors and stuff because we can do something that's, uh, well, I mean, you, you know, we can go pool water blue. <laughs> I have, I've, There's an acid stain yeah. that makes it look aqua like that and okay. deep. So, like I said, polished to a high gloss, it's going to have depth and variegation. So if it, it could look like water. Or if it's oh, black... Yeah. If it's polished really, really shiny black, it'll look like a mirror. But because you'll be able to see the little silica sand sparkling in yeah. it, it'll give you some like a Ooh. galaxy <laughs> effect, man. It's gonna look, it'll look cool. That sounds really and great. And then as far as the cables, it's as simple as uh, running. Since you said you were like some on type concrete. of a conduit in, exactly. inside
0: and just drop it down, and, and out Well, you would or... just put it into
1: the mold and then yeah. pour the concrete right on top of it. So you and you would you could just run the wire beforehand put it in there so you, like you would have a connection a photo mm-hmm. jack connection a photo jack connection on the side where you could just plug into it or on the bottom
0: Oh, that'd be great! Yeah, completely you know, out of the way until someone's knee hits it. But well, you, you know, we can figure that we'll out. We'll design it. Yeah. We'll design oh, it. could we please? Yeah. <laughs> oh, Yeah, we're gonna design it.
1: Now. We're gonna have but some fun.
0: Who, who even knew that this—that's how this evening was gonna start with like that kind of—that's really got me excited. Well, that. I've got,
1: I've got some time, and I don't really have a lot to do. And if I stay busy, man, it should take me about three days. I can get oh,
0: done. yeah, let's do it.
1: And then, like you know, we can do—they uh, call them saw cut lines—but you can create whatever pattern whatever symbol. I
0: have a very specific symbol.
1: That's perfect. We can, we can put it in ink or transfer it right over as an inked image, or we can, you know, start like actually line drawing it in the concrete itself.
0: Can we do anything like this? Let's, I'm going to bring up a picture of the site, but, uh, why don't briefly, then we were actually covering it right before we sat down, but you're going to create a concrete table with a polished top. Yes. And, uh, where did you learn how to do this?
1: Uh, wow. Uh, well, so that is um, a lot of reading and uh-huh. a lot of YouTube watching uh, and a lot of risk-taking. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first job I did, I I have a good friend of mine that I've done a lot of work for that wanted a concrete floor and allowed me to experiment. Uh, I basically did it for dirt cheap, almost free, because I wanted the experience. Sure. It was about a 500-square-foot room, and I did it – I used the same concrete I use now, did a quarter-inch lift, did it in six-foot-by-six-foot squares so that I could do it one square at a time. And she didn't mind that because we're going to use the separations as grout lines, Uh make it look like a big grid. And because of the nature of the concrete, it looks like stone, so it looked very Tuscan. Or, uh, or even like antebellum old South, you know, like okay. really just a, a rustic-looking color because we use this uh, leathery orange brown, and I did the whole thing polished by hand, so I didn't use any machine process. I had bought, <laughs> I didn't have <laughs> enough Long money. Haul. Yeah, I didn't have enough money to buy the machine process. So I, uh, the polisher, so I bought these um, hand polishing resin like buffer pads that come in the same grades essentially they're the same thing but I bought three sets because I thought I'd wear through all of them and then little by little about one square foot at a time I went over the entire 500 square feet by hand on my hands and knees with a 50 grade uh, actually 250 grades like Daniel son like I'm like left (laughs) hand right hand so I do 250 grades and cover the whole room that left you know you're using water to make a slurry then you have to clean the slurry then you have to go back over the whole thing in a hundred then you have to clean the slurry go back over the whole thing in two then you have to clean you know and so by hand it took weeks yeah and it was a lot and it was a demanding haul on my body Uh, but when it was finished it was really I I knew everything I needed to know about working with that (laughs) concrete I learned about all the mistakes I learned how to fix those mistakes I learned about how to read, which is the one word that I was given advice from a guy that works at uh, White Cap Construction Supplies. Shout out to White Cap. <laughs> Give me a discount. Uh, those guys, there's a construction pro, concrete pro. Guy's like seven and a half feet tall. He's, he's not that tall, but he seems <laughs> like he's that tall. And he's just one of those guys you know has worked his whole life. He's word Wranglers that I'm not sure he's ever taken off. They look like... I know the exact... Guy,
0: rank. Yeah, I know. You know <laughs> the guy with the, the skinny tall wallet that sticks up to his lower back. Freaky. I worked with that guy. Yeah, we Absolutely. all know that guy. And yeah.
1: So that guy gave me a lot of great advice and a lot of good pointers. But the one thing he said, he goes, you don't need to buy a machine until you can read the concrete. And I didn't know what the fuck that meant. And he didn't have time to explain it to me. So, uh, you know, I'd buy a book and I'd start reading and I'd start...
0: And that's not what he meant by reading the content. Right. <laughs> <No>.
1: <laughs> well, I tried to figure out what he meant. You yeah. Know? And I would see that reference here and there. And then I started, uh, uh, you know, looking up like wiki shit on how to do it. Yeah. And then I started watching YouTube videos of uh, like you can find these instructional seminar videos from like uh, 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 Rapid Set. Like they produce and develop these instructional,s yeah, and so I started finding those and watching them and just really studying. And I invested a little tool here and there, and uh, finally I I got ahead. And just to kind of backstory this, my wife was dealing with a lot, so there was a lot of medical expenses, so there wasn't a lot of money, right? So when I finally got six hundred bucks, I had narrowed it down to three. Handheld orbital polishers And so I bought the first Polisher and I went over I went back to that same room that I Crawled on my hands and knees, yeah. And there are just certain things you can't get With hand Elbow grease that you yeah. can do with a machine So I went back over with the machine But I was still on my hands and knees Because it is a handheld concrete Countertop polisher right Made a huge difference the floor looked great Uh, Fast forward a year and a half, and I I wasn't willing to pay thirty five hundred dollars for a residential size standing walk behind polisher, so I spent eighty five bucks on some EMT (laughs) conduit and I built myself one. That's awesome. Tinkering with the machine, reversing how the the polisher itself was mounted to the the motor was mounted to the polishing wheel. And I built a saddle to kind of make it balance so it wouldn't yeah. be off kilter. And I had it, the wheels are orbital, and I had a walk behind EMT setup. So I was able to, and I had a separate vacuum set so it would slurry and suck it up. Sped up my skill, and I was able to get in and out of rooms like 500 square feet size in about. Two and a half, three days instead of weeks. Instead of weeks, yeah. and I didn't have to spend <laughs> the thirty five hundred bucks to do it. So. Man, that
0: is so incredible. I I think that's one of the things that I, I maybe mean, it, it, it very it must be, a subconscious subtext kind of vibe, something that, because I I seem to be lucky enough to to have people cross my path who are like that that you oh. you know that you would delve into that and do the work <laughs> and do the homework i mean because we just sat down with Guillermo uh last week and and he was talking about this incredible and when you should definitely listen to that podcast he's talking about this harness that he built for a like a a, a war hammer a battle hammer or something it was inc- that's cool. incredible yeah it's like this the weapons that's been around since the you know the 14th century fourth, fourth century really? something well you know like thor uses sure <clears throat> i don't want to retell the story cuz no, it, it much you. better but it. I'll listen you know to it it's, too. it's you should listen to don't it cuz he me. he oh, okay i'll leave it yeah, no swear <laughs> no the whole thing yeah go go but, but you should check it out cuz i think that it's uh, there is a common thread between people who get along and it's not just an intellectual thread but it's also this i guess that can be that is intellectual that that drive for knowledge and
1: and uh, yeah i and think skill. I, i'm a big fan of uh, refinement yeah. And not in terms of Ivy League. When you th- you hear a word like refinement, and you sure. think uh, Tea time. You, your mind starts going there. Yeah, right. <laughs> Tea time and polo and country yeah. clubs. I don't mean the image of refinement. Sure. I mean the actual process of refining something. And if, if you can use the concrete as a metaphor, you know, I uh, if you heard any of the other podcasts, I don't. Get too intimidated by things like that because I feel like I've already been through some some tough stuff and survived, and uh, I'm not afraid of. I think I'm not af- I'm not afraid of fucking up. I'm not yeah. afraid of making a mistake because I have a lot of confidence in my ability to bounce back or land on my feet or whatever you want to say there. That's an
0: incredible uh, uh fac- think, talent. To thanks, Rich. Uh,
1: I, I, I appreciate that. I think I think a lot of times people misinterpret. That confidence as thinking that they they may they see confidence, but they're not aware that it's a, a confidence that stems from surviving certain things, mm-hmm. and that it's about being unafraid to screw screw up. I think it can be uh, misunderstood. Yeah, it can be and misunderstood. So they they like it's arrogance. Right. Yeah, they're like, oh, that guy thinks he knows fucking everything, and it's not. That's really not the case. Uh, odd reference here, but this makes me want to use my wedding. As an example, because the party of guests that showed up, the thing that I get—I easily one of the happiest moments of my life was the wedding itself. Because I, I'm sitting in this pivotal point, right? Obviously, I'm the husband, I'm the groom, <laughs> and so I'm looking at all these different people and I'm listening to the things they're saying, and they say these—they're saying wonderful things, and it's humbling, right? And you get caught in a moment where, you you know, at least I did, I got caught in a moment where I was like, you know, maybe I've actually gotten to be the person I wanted to be to these people. And I'm looking at who they are, and they're a bunch of outspoken, independent, free-thinking intellectuals that are very fucking cool and outgoing and are the first people to call you on your shit. Yeah. And I, I I have have a lifetime of representation of people who are good at telling me I'm wrong, and I and I love conversations with them. And there are times I'm right, and there are times where I I want to argue a point, and I feel like the arguing process is like we're like we're milling cotton, right? Like we're just we're trying to make this, we're trying to get it to its refined form. So, we have to go through all this rough stuff. We have to have some friction. We got to see where maybe we're making, where, we, where we've made mistakes, assumptions, whatever. And it could be about something mundane, but it, and, and often these people that are the most important people that are at my wedding, they're all people who've told me I'm an idiot or that <laughs> I'm wrong or, you know, they're great at, at doing that. And I've, I like being around people like that. And I think it comes from seeing that my, my, my father, he was one of those guys that like to surround himself with yes men. You know, and there's no room to grow there. Yeah. You don't get to refine shit when everybody's telling you your shit don't stink. You know, so that's it felt good. You know, the wedding was a great example of what I mean. I believe in refining that and being willing to own up to your mistake. I think owning that responsibility can be graceful if you can own it and not be afraid of it. And that kind of confidence is uh, misinterpreted as being like, uh, you know, some people think you, you're arrogant and they yeah. think you know it all. But uh, I, I might want to try to know it all. I'm going to try a lot. <laughs> I'm going to try to know as, as much, much time as we
0: can. We're going to cram out in as much information as we can, well, learn as much as we can, you read as much as p- we can. Yeah.
1: People like uh, like uh, Guillermo, who's making his, you know, sledgehammer uh, <laughs> uh, uh, holder. Yeah, as a holster. Brace, yeah, tracing. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's cool because I like that, that skill set seems like. It touches on something that's part of us that goes way back. You know, I I, I connect, I feel, or I tell myself maybe wrongly, that uh, I connect with my grandfather's life as a railroad worker Mm -hmm. for Santa Fe Railroad. And he, he got a better job as he went on, but he worked there for decades. And the guy was, you know, a pillar of strength and just this big laboring guy. This
0: is just your her my my, r- grandma, my r- grandfather, r- my paternal, mother, on my mother's no. side. Okay.
1: Yeah, and and so uh, you know, for me to work with my hands and stuff, and uh, I feel like I connect with that. Did and you I know like him? That. Did you know him? Yeah, I did. When, yeah. I did. Oh, uh, he, he died when I was thirteen. Okay, but I did know him. You know, and and uh, I knew what he was about. You know, very clearly. You yeah. know, so you know that kind of thing is interesting to me. I like that. Something appeals to me About that Like wanting to know What is What was that like Mm -hmm. Be really that kind of tired At the end of
0: the day Well well, how old was he When was was he uh, When was he born Do
1: you know (sighs) God he was 63 13 I didn't really keep track He had to be late 1800s Okay Early 1900s
0: Well that'd be pretty old
1: Pretty old Yeah he was pretty old He he actually uh, He had had both legs Amputated from the knee down from diabetes wow no discipline to stop eating the way he was eating you know just couldn't do it yeah you know it's interesting because you know people like that are you know you, you make heroes out of them because they're your grandfather right and then you start realizing how human they are because you know some shit they do was <laughs> kind of fucking shady you know yeah. and you learn about it I don't I love that stuff you know some people get all bothered and they have to have their their family member or loved one be in some you know, divine light. Mm-hmm. I, I like it when they're meaty. And they're <laughs> <shamey> <laughs> life and, life
0: in general is much more interesting when it is. Well, it's honest. There's, yeah, it's, it's honest. honest.
1: And that they're kind of brings me back to where I started. You know, the reason I do this or continue to do it, uh, the concrete thing is a way to refine my skills. Mm-hmm. I like that whole idea. I refined a skill set from nothing. I sought out assistance and knowledge. I put my hands to practice at the trade. I got to a point where I could make money off of it and I'm continuing to make a living off of doing things like that I think it's the that's where other contractors fall short I think they think I can do drywall and then they stay doing drywall and that's all they do and then they burn out because it's boring hmm. as shit right and, and there's only so much money that you're willing to make before you're done doing that stuff people so.
0: burn out because there's not you're right if they're doing the same thing they'll, they'll burn out there's got to be motivation there's got to be drive And I think you kind of touched on it, like we brushed by it just real quickly. But the thing that I that that we're about as a species as is challenge and and uh, exploring and pushing boundaries. And we did not get where we are.
1: I like those kinds of colloquialisms, too. I'm inspired by them. I'm ridiculously easy to get with things like that, like uh, the one I heard recently was ships are safest in the harbor but that's not what ships are meant to do <laughs> I, mean, like, I hear something like that and I'm like, yeah. you yeah. know like something deep in me is like yeah that's right i'm a ship i'm, meant I'm not meant to stay in bones. the harbor <laughs> you know? uh but you know or, or or the view from your comfort zone is great but nothing ever grows there have you ever heard that one no no i love those little little tricks of uh turtle- the view phrase, from your you know, comfort
0: zone is great. Yeah, the but, view nothing view, grows yeah there. but nothing grows there. Nothing grows there. Wow. You know, basically,
1: needs get the fuck out of your comfort zone. Yeah, and I'm a big proponent of that. By the way, I think I think everybody needs that. I'm a big the,
0: proponent of that from my comfort zone. Yeah, exactly. I like to cheer everybody else on. You go I do haven't it. Left in years, <laughs> but
1: I think other people should.
0: I think I'd be into that, but well, that's what that's what we're doing here too. Well,
1: you know, I think there's something to it. I think that. uh you know, here's another one for you. Uh, like you know, p- plants grow differently in different soil. You know, yeah, say that kind of thing. That's true, but it, it, I think that's true for people. You know, if you take, I think everybody who lives in the Midwest would do well to have, like, you know, how they say you need to have be drafted, everybody needs to do two years military service, everybody needs to do two years out of their sure area where they grew up, get out of Texas. Go to New York, go to Oregon, go to California. See something different. Do something different. Live life there. See what people value there. Learn a different way to look at things. See what the effect of a different climate, of a different topography does for you. Uh, For me, the mountains here floored me. I I can't tell you that that's a big deal. Maybe I'm a simpleton, but I love the mountains that I see all around Tucson.
0: Oh, you're talking about just like the, the mountains here, like yeah. Mount Lemmon and things. Or are you talking yeah. about like up in the pines, like getting uh, up into the mountains? It. All
1: of it. I mean, I grew up between Dallas and new Orleans. There's not okay. a mountain in sight, you know? <laughs> and, and so I like the, uh, I like the feeling of, of realizing how fucking small I am Yeah. in the world. You know, I like looking at a giant ass mountain and thinking, fuck, I, I am really minuscule.
0: I like what you hit yeah. there. I actually, there's a speaking of cute little colloquialisms and quotes. Uh, one I saw the other day that I really liked was, "Appreciate your place in the cosmos. It is small, but it is.
1: It is. You know, yeah. That
0: that kind of floored me. It's like, wow, yeah. It.
1: It's, I think that you have to remind yourself of that. I think you really, you know, that's it's a. I like those. I like to be reminded of that. I think you lose that when you're in an urban environment it becomes competitive you get kind of an a inflated sense of yourself when you're living in a big city things are moving fast I think you I think some of your worst tendencies can kind of get the best of you especially at a young age you know I think it can really be a, be corrosive and uh, you know like I said I think I think the West Coast too I mean don't get me wrong I think they could do some time in fucking Tennessee <laughs> you know go, you're gonna, we you're, all could you everyone's
0: got to experience different things
1: yeah I think it rounds people out you know, I really do. I think it makes a difference. At huh. least it did for me. I, I can only speak for myself. But it it made a difference for me, and I I, uh, I think it's a problem for other, like family members especially, that just kind of never leave. And, and, and especially if they're unhappy. Mm-hmm. And they, I feel like a change would do them good. But I think it's, it's one of those tricky things in, in the world where my life experience doesn't mean shit to them, right? <laughs> like it could be my niece, and I'm just like, you should just fucking leave. You need Do to get something. the fuck out of there. Yeah, and she doesn't give a fuck about what I'm saying, right? Yeah, she can't connect with that, and she's afraid. She's afraid, you know. And a lot of people say, well, I don't need to go anywhere else. Well, that to me is limiting your growth. You're limiting the the things you're exposing yourself to, and I think that leads to a lot of problems. You know, politically. I think the reason people are so uh, still showing that there are problems with uh, understanding race issues and understanding religion issues, a lot of it boils down to exposure. Absolutely, you know, they just don't have, they don't know anybody that is one thing or the other. <laughs> Did you yeah, pick that up? I picked that up. That was weird. <laughs> but it, you know what I mean. I, I just don't think they're exposed to that. I, I think, do. I think I it do. would be a better, a better. I think the result would be good I think you, you know
0: to get back into it because then we keep sure. we've, we've crossed into. Uh, technology before Sorry. we, well, yeah. not not bad. I mean, because I actually think that we can bring this back around to refinement. We're coming back to developing the self. And, you know, what are the causes for that? Why do we drive ourselves to do that? but
1: And how it applies to a concrete table. And how it applies is all to about a concrete the table.
0: table. It all starts with that concrete t- <laughs> I I think that people do limit themselves. And I think a lot of those problems you just described are exactly a result of not challenging People not challenging themselves, people not exposing themselves to a different yeah. way of thinking, or just, just even a little bit of a different experience. Conversation. You know, conversation. Everyone needs to have a little bit, a few more conversations. It's,
1: it's scary that that might be a lost art, you know, yeah. that the people are, are missing uh, ways to communicate. It's, it's really interesting the power of things like that, though, you know? It's ex- exposure can really change how you think of a whole class of people if you just ask questions and talk to them a little bit. Yeah. Love to talk to you, ask you questions. I love
0: conversation. Like over the last twenty years, um, coming down here to the big city, coming down from the little town and everything, like Tucson. yeah, Tucson, the big city. Big city. city. Uh, the most, some of the most rewarding experiences I've had have been uh, sitting around a table chatting, sitting yeah. around a, a fire, like uh, the place that we used to live right down here on Dodge. Uh, back behind that house, it was like a duplex. And my buddy Gavin lived next door. And it was like a, a sitcom every day because you never, like someone would just come in the, in the door. <laughs> it, was, it was like this ultimate dream sitcom sitting and like live next door with your buddy. And then at night after work, people would just kind of congregate in the backyard with yeah. the fire burning and just That's the conversation vibe. would go. It was great. And I got exposed to all these different people that being in a small town never would have met, never would have heard their point of view. And I, I think it, I'm better for it you know, those, those conversations just help you grow.
1: I went to McNeese State University for a couple of years, maybe three semesters, four semesters. And I was really distracted when I was there. I had uh, uh, hunted down my dad at the age of 19 and he was living about half an hour, 45 minutes away in a little town called Jennings, Mm -hmm. Louisiana. And, Lake Charles, Louisiana is where McNeese is. So about 45 minute drive. And, you know, I was going thinking, you know, they tell you when you are well, at least what they told me in high school, you know, you got to stay in school, stay in college, you know? Sure. So was, to me, I was like, there's no, no brainer. I got to stay going to school, even though I'm going to try to get to know my dad. And while I was at McNeese State, you know, my dad has cancer. I'm dealing with that. He's going through radiation. I'm also trying to live out this, uh, you know, Fish out of water experience. I'm in a small town for the first time in my life and going to college, a lot of experience, a lot of weird stories that come (laughs) from that. But one of the things that um, came from it was I had, uh, I put a little time into art, into the art college. Uh Um, You know, took some drawing classes, took some intaglio printmaking classes, really, really loved the art college, met a lot of great people. Um, met a, met a gentleman named Brooks Fredericks. Look him up, people. He's an amazing artist. He just did a TED Talk. You should check that out. He is an uh, uh, environmental activist artist. He is incredibly talented. He's a academic professor in New York at one of the schools of art there. I don't, I don't want to know if he's switched jobs yet, so I'll refrain from saying where he <laughs> works. But if you look him up, you'll be surprised. He did a, He's from Homa, Louisiana, which is a small place. And uh, after the BP oil spill, he went and collected a bunch of the oil that had washed up on the beach, and he made a series of paintings uh, from it, and using it to make a statement. But he's gifted; he is a gifted artist. Check him out if you're listening. Um, anyway, I had met Brooks in the College of Art at Minne State University, and uh, I was really feeling kind of fish out of water for a lot of reasons. We can cover it another time or whenever, maybe later in this conversation. And uh, I started finding myself spending the middle of the night, like from midnight till 4 a.m., I would sneak into the College of Art building, art building. And there was a theater there, right? And we would go into this theater, it was we? Uh, just a few art students. Brooks was one of them. Uh, another friend of mine named Melanie who could play the piano who introduced me to Fiona Apple, (laughs) which was like a mind-bending experience for me, and then a couple of other odds and ends that would come and go. But we would go into the theater, which name sort of, I I can't remember the name of the theater. But we went in there, and it would be dark, lights off, and often there'd be a, a piano just up on stage. And we would go up on stage and just talk, lights off, confess our souls make fools of each other make fools of ourselves yeah. sing songs carry out stories like we're playing about theater wise on stage uh, my friend Melanie was one of the first people that I had met in flesh and bone that could sing in I, I can't think of a musician she had a really soft voice that had a little that had power in it <laughs> But it was just almost like tiptoeing on the boundary of underspoken, right? Very wispy and soft. And so and she was talented with the piano. So she could play these Fiona Apple songs. And it was to the point where because I had heard Fiona Apple the first time that way, the when I did actually hear Fiona Apple, I thought she was too rough. I was like, oh, she's pushing too hard for this, yeah. it needs to be softer. Oh, I right? love
0: this story. This is a good story. You
1: know, so there was this feeling that we got. You know, I remember, uh, you know, Brooks played the bass guitar, you know, and he, was, he played the tuba in, in the McNeese State Band, right? And, you know, he he would teach me, he taught me how to play the, the Toadies... Uh, the toadies. Uh, uh, do you want to die? <laughs> what is it? Yeah. Kingdom. He told me how to yeah. play the Pahasa Kingdom riff <laughs> on the bass guitar, and you know we 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 really we tried to write a song. It was horrible, and you know it was like we would just have this bearing of souls. There was this this birthday suit quality of what was going on there. Total exposure, all the way, and and it was amazing. It was amazing for growth. It was amazing to bond with other people. And it really provided a lot of interesting new areas of interest for me, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what I think you're kind of capturing here is that sneak. I feel that same thing where I'm off in the auditorium on a stage and it's totally dark and there's not a person going to come around for 50 fucking miles, right? That's not true, but that's how it but felt. But that's how you feel. That's how you felt, sure. you know? And so we were, We, you know, and, It was a unique time, and that's hard to come across. It it seems like it would be easy to facilitate, but it's not. And to stumble across it, as we get older, we start putting
0: up all those walls. We start putting, you know, pushing things away and shutting ourselves off. Maybe not everybody, but I think that that's pretty common. When a a lot of people, when they're younger, they're more willing to embrace something like that. And then for some reason, I mean. (laughs) You know, <laughs> to quote movies again, it's like Breakfast Club. When you get older, your heart dies. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I can't help it. You can't help it. It happens to everybody. Yep. Uh No, you know, I, I I think that people try to, but I think there's always like we get we, it's almost like a three step process that we get one and a half steps through. Mm-hmm. So I think there's still people want to get together and they have. Gatherings at their home. Mm-hmm. Right. But the focus of those gatherings isn't to talk about things. It's the Super Bowl or the Oscars or whatever you're into or a movie night. You know, there's something to go there and focus on other than conversation. And so, you know, it seems I'll like... A, each other. <laughs> right. And, and there's sure. not really that exploration into, you know, well, let's challenge that thought. Even though I agree with you, what could be this, you know, maybe I should think this through again you know there's not a lot of that you know and mm-hmm. I, so I, like i said i think people get part of the way there but then the really good conversations sort of happen off on the sidelines of those events and they're really kind of mashed up or or, or just kind of little blurbs and bits and bobs that uh, you don't really grow as people and the people who do you know those are guys who maybe they get it while they're working out together right and they're able to, to vent. Or maybe they get it when they get together with their guys and go. And uh, for me, it was going out to eat Indian food every Friday night. You know, it was two other guys that regularly were there. And you could kind of create that. But again, you're in public. There's a reason to be there. And, you you know, at some point during those kind of social settings, two people getting into a meaty conversation that was deep would be kind of like, okay, That's enough of that. Let's talk about something that we can laugh about and have a good time. And that's nothing wrong with that. Laughs good, too. Yeah, nothing wrong Uh with that. But so, you know, I would say that since then, other than a few times that were sort of fleeting, this seems to be sort of the same thing that you've created. It's this little, you know, auditorium people could sneak (laughs) away to and have a little birthday suit of the brains you know their souls. <laughs> what
0: I'm hearing like poetically like in my mind I'm, I'm almost hearing Jim I'm hearing Morrison talk about kind of stripping away the the, the realities and the the physical uh, ties and and kind of really delving in itself like clearing those doors of perception if you will and just kind of letting it, letting it out seeing where it goes seeing what it's about seeing what we're about and what I'm also getting from this is that maybe we need to change the lighting in here
1: <laughs> 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 Maybe make it Maybe, a little more atmospheric. You know Maybe what? Some, a dimmer. You just need a dimmer. A dimmer just dim That's it down it. a little bit. Just need a dimmer. Yeah, um, you could dim it down a little bit. You'd be fine. Yeah. You know, I do good. need to
0: get some big like red curtains and things to hang around too, so that we can be a little bit more uh, honest when we're delivering from the red room.
1: Well, this, and you know what? It would probably dampen <laughs> the sound a little more too. Yeah, you know? no, that, that was already a thought. Yeah, I could see that. We've got a
0: pretty crisp sound in here, but we can drop there. Yeah,
1: you put those curtains in here. You're gonna have a little. Get a little warmer A little warmer
0: Well you talked about Exposing ourselves So we could get You know what if Everyone could get Real windows, exposed Blacked out the windows
1: Like that Like put the The, the fabric that, That's uh, You know Meant to block out something. Oh sure The blackout yeah. curtains Yeah blackout curtains mm-hmm. That's right That's the word
0: Because what I wanted To talk to you about um, Let's get into it it's talking, talking about like Creativity and things like that Cool Because I'm Tell me about like the tell me some stories from the DJing times. I and mean, you talked sure. about being a high school kid DJing in like clubs. Yep. You know, like that's a, there's another example. When I'm guessing, you taught yourself the ropes. You just jumped in there and Uh-oh. got some turntables and start. What 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 was the you know the impetus of that one? Wow. Uh,
1: you know what? I think I have to blame my sister a little bit. My sister. Did you say blame her? Blame. Okay. Blame. Straight up <laughs> blame. Uh, you know I, I like. I like performing for people, you know, when I was a kid, little kid, three, four, you know.
0: do you do magic tricks or like sing, <laughs> sing songs or something?
1: <laughs> Is this your card?
0: Is this your, how about no, this?
1: Uh, no, no, no. But, you know, my my sister would always put me out there to be her little puppet. Sing, sure. Dance, whatever.
0: Dance, monkey, dance. And I,
1: and I didn't care. I was a happy monkey. Yeah. I was happy to be monkey, right? And, uh, and I didn't mind it at all. And I really, I, I've never, I have zero fucks to give and never have had <laughs> fucks to give. So I'll get it there and be a ham. And, and uh, as a kid, that came across and I like to have fun. So later on, my sister is trying to teach me how to dance in Colleen, Texas. And I'm like 12, right? And I have no idea I seriously have bad. White guy, you know. What are we learning
0: to dance to? What was it? What was the first uh, I song? think it was Bobby Brown. Like, hip hop, no, was really, <laughs> hip
1: hop was really coming on strong, and Bobby Brown's first, like, my prerogative. My prerogative. Yeah, it was still it, I mean, back yeah. then. It was New Edition. There was sure. a lot of beats, but I wasn't dancing. That wasn't okay. The point. That happened to be the song where my sister's like, "Look, just, just shake your hips, you know, back and <laughs> forth, like left, right," and I'm like, "All right, I'm doing it," you know, I was excited, but. Like anything, I, I started kind of getting a little too into it. I wanted to dance like Bobby Brown, period. I wanted to learn everything. Before. Is there an
0: injury coming up here? No, 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 no. <laughs>
1: so, what happened was I started looking, I started being, uh, because I was drawn into hip hop at that moment, I was watching every music video possible. I got into other hip hop, you know, duos, groups, Kid and Play. You can pick on me for my musical not, choices no one's all gonna, day. But I, I loved Kid and Play. I loved House Party, the movie. I loved the Kid and Play, Kick Step. I learned that dance. And then I started you watching... You like some crisscross? Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, well, that was later. Oh, was but, it was later. Uh, Heavy D and the Boys. <laughs> uh-huh. You know, back... And so Heavy D and the Boys, you know, they had the two guys that were just meant to dance. And Heavy's kind of like a rhythmic fat fucker who's got all the rhymes of the planet, but he's not doing all that breakneck hip hop shit. right? <laughs> and I just thought it was cool. And it sort of yeah. appealed to me for some reason. I, th- I love that use of the body. Right. And so I started getting into dancing and then I started making a collection of music. Okay. And I started, okay. you know, and I had my own musical tastes that were kind of weird. I was a weird kid. So, uh, and what I mean by that is I wasn't just listening to the radio. I really feel lucky that my mother had a huge influence on my musical taste. At the time, tape cassette was the format; CDs were on the verge. And my mother used to get Time Life books, like these little hardback editions. Are
0: we talking that, about like the Mysteries of the Unknown? Well, so the backs. Like she had that stuff too. Yeah. Okay,
1: okay? but. They also did these uh, anthology audio cassettes that were like The 1950s. I have hits seen those. of the 1940s, yeah. Hits of the 1950s, Rock from the 1960s, <laughs> R&B from the 1960s, and I would just listen to these tapes as a 9-year-old, 10-year-old. That's all I was really listening to, which probably is why I had such a refined whiteness to my <laughs> dance moves uh but, but yeah i would listen to them so i knew all of these bebop songs and those are the songs that i would start like singing and trying to hone my voice to which was really helpful because those are very clean bars right there wasn't a lot of uh uh, variable voices going on. It was like hit that note, hit that note, hit that note. Hit that note. You know what so I'm So I would, I would. Like, Did you have
0: some musical training at the time too? I, I, my mother
1: was very yeah. much into that with her kids. Go to Catholic school. Sure. Okay. Go to yes. Choir. Gotcha. You know, learn, yeah. learn to hold a note and sing the gospel and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I just didn't take for me very well. I got kicked out of a few Catholic schools <laughs> uh, for whatever reason. They didn't like me. But
0: I'm sure that was. I
1: learned learned a lot about singing, and and I would sing a lot to the radio, and it was how I vented a lot of frustration. And so, uh, you know, you can imagine I'm coming around at about 10. My sister's big into these more like the Scorpions and Triumph and Van Halen and (laughs) Ozzy. Like your sister. (laughs) Yeah, my sister was totally leather, like hardcore, badass. Still is. But she was the one representing like this rock, like rock and roll. Vibe, okay, right, and and I really got a lot of from her. And then from my my own interests, from my mother, I was getting this classical rock, like really like the Pinnings Elvis, uh, 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 uh Great Balls of Fire. Maybe right.
0: some Dave Clark five oh Oh, Buddy Holly. Buddy Holly. Hall- I mean, really it was really Buddy. Buddy
1: Holly and uh, who did who did Great Balls of Fire, man.
0: Jerry Lee Lewis. Jerry
1: Lee Lewis. That's right. So a lot of that kind of vibe. Um, And then I also like musicals. Like, I watched musicals. I don't know. You can make your assumptions. No one's going to make that. That, I'm talking to the audience. That's come up before. No, that's come up before. That's funny. I I like musicals. I I like musicals. musicals.
0: Did you see La La Land? I have not. You should see it. And I want to. It's
1: really good. Uh, But I did grow up on old musicals and old movies, too. Like, so I was really molded by that. So my dad, my father liked uh old like uh, spaghetti western movies Mm -hmm. you know like my name is nobody (laughs) they still call me trinity so i had this very diverse entertainment selection i've kind of digressed from music so let me get back to that but musically i had a lot of different influences right and i remember right about the time i'm listening to hip-hop i remember the first time i heard the beastie boys licensed to ill (laughs) i didn't know what to make of it right like, all the hip-hop I was aware of at the time was every little step I take, right? Or it was, like, you know what I mean? It was, like, very rhythmic, musical. And here's the Beastie Boys are just, like, throwing that straight in your face and being very it's loud, syncopated and-, and odd. and Right, you know, very rough musically. And, I mean, I, I, of course I had to have it. But I didn't really know if I really liked it, right? So on top of all this shit, for whatever reason... I had a real infatuation with this weird uh, contemporary music, like Enya, <laughs> right? I was into that, and there were some Yanni songs. I was like, "Whoa!" Okay,
0: Enya, I can I can get with you on that. Okay, no, so I
1: was I was yeah. into that, and then I was also into like there was a there was a jazz, uh, a singer from Europe called uh, Bajia, right? And she sings mm-hmm. these these like ballad songs, right? I had and so the new wave was starting to really get my attention, right? New order, depeche mode. So I had really had this broad feel for everything I loved about those different things. And I wanted to take I almost wanted to pluck little pieces of fruit from those trees to build my wardrobe, my dance moves, my things I was that I could do, you know, so like I I was a skater who was dancing to hip hop. But in my house, I'm listening to you know, everything from the 50s of rock and roll to Enya and Baja. And you know what I mean? I was all over the place. So None, I had this yeah. musical collection, and and I was always kind of liking to be performing and be the center of the party. And uh, I was having a rough patches of kind of a kid looking for trouble for a while. And right about the time I was 15, 16 years old, a friend of mine had a house party, and this is before being able to do anything on the internet that's that's, a, that's the first that may be the first statement I've said in a while it <laughs> makes me feel fucking old <laughs> oh gee but you know so you're like wow you know nobody has any of this shit you know maybe some kids have five or six tape cassettes and there was no way you were going to make that work and I happen to have this like duo cassette we bought it probably at Walmart or Target or something you know it's got the equalizer on it it's got the, the turntable on the top and it's got the two little I think it was a Fisher unit right Yeah. so I had like two fish, the speakers were actually good Sat, ironically I just sold those speakers at a garage sale like last year <laughs> I kept them because they still were great Yeah. I think I blew one of the subs and I was like I'm ready to sell them <laughs> But no, I had these two with the with the really bad fake wood casing, yeah. and uh, and I took them over to this guy's house and I DJ'd it because I had a ton of music, you know, and it was all in cassette. But I was able, you know, because I was neurotic, I was able to kind of time everything out. Where I had like a little Walkman that I would fast forward everything to the right spot. Oh my God. And then, like, you know, I'd have it in the second take the set ready to go. And then when the first song was fading, I, you know, I was going back and forth. And I did this for like three and a half hours. And every song I really wanted to dance to, I'd go out in the front and I'd dance. And I could outdance pretty much fucking everybody, with the exception of a couple of guys that we ended up. At this time it was not When did uncool. you get a hype man? Did you was It was not happen? uncool to have two or three people dancing a dance routine. In fact, that's what people did back in those days. So I had like this little two guy thing that at every house party we had <laughs> this like, Oh, I was about to get down. You know, we get out there and we'd break it down. So that that's how it started. That's how you know, and I, I kinda went from there to working my ass off at a shitty job and bought some turntables started buying vinyl instead of cassettes started learning the ropes about you know bpm's and how to you know organize my vinyl by bpm and then i started learning how to mix and then i realized i had a really shitty mixer and i had to buy a new one that was really expensive and you know it's just like piece by piece and so I i i you know my mother worked a lot as a single mom or else i was sneaking out i was a bad kid about that and i would go downtown dallas and i was just crawling around the alleys and shit probably with a bunch of bad fucking kids <laughs> and we would get into these clubs I, I i totally faked my id you know i i had a i got my driver's license but i still had the i had when i was 15 i had an id like an identification card right well i had changed the number and like, you know, like scratched it in to make it look right. Oh, I'm like sure it, it wasn't
0: the in. work that you did on the idea. I imagine it was probably the bouncers just going, all right. Yeah, I sure probably it was. just They're just looking the other way. Yeah. And, well, and
1: then like after a couple of times, I, I got the guy to let me up in the DJ booth. Oh, that's awesome. And I, I got cool. 30 minutes. I got 30 minutes. I knew some of the music you had. I was really into techno at the time. A lot of people were... In the area I was growing up in At least were bashing the shit out of techno And I really loved it I loved new I loved
0: Techno at the time was like what?
1: 808 State uh, There was a song uh, Like I'm trying to think of everybody that was there It was really a bunch of odd mixes From sure. grand, random DJs That would put together Really it sounded like them messing around with a soundboard Yeah You know It's trying to create beats And some of it was great uh, there was a there was a, a tape or a vinyl out there by CCCP. It was like American Soviets, and it had this like really great. It's still out there; you can Spotify it, but it's a great song. You know, it's just this iconic eighties techno beat from Europe, Eastern Europe, and it's like it's just got this weird sound to it. Huh. So it's you know those kind of things really got got me in. I got thirty minutes at this cool club and then I started sinking there regularly and getting up there and uh, learning how to run like how to read a crowd you know and keep them on the dance floor and stuff and
0: uh, that's tough it's tough that's tough I gotta tell you as, as a musician growing up playing in bands and trying to hone that craft and trying to write songs trying to be a songwriter that was something I totally took for granted I can I can admit it just straight up I always kind of teased the DJ profession I was like Well you you press play. That's Right, that's easy to look down on. Dude. It's it easy. Is. It was really easy, and and we can get on this topic later too, because I know that you enjoy karaoke, and I enjoy I karaoke. And for a long time, I giggled at karaoke too. I was like, well, why not just play, you know, why not just play a song?
1: Get up there, man. Get up, yeah, right. Yeah, but learn, learn, how to learn. play a guitar damn it. <laughs> yeah, I that, I will freely admit I've said that to myself, <laughs> man. I feel like, why don't I? Why have I not learned how to play an instrument? Oh
0: man, music. but I just I have so been humbled by that experience. <laughs> <laughs> I was
1: so egotistical. I needed the attention to be on me that's why I went DJ I was like I'm the man you know? <laughs> what? I'm in charge
0: is that what you're saying you or you're saying that was me like I want... I'm want?
1: i picking up myself I'm I didn't want myself. to be
0: in charge but the, that thrill that was way more exciting than I thought it would be I was like okay sure why not I'll give it a shot and then when I started delving into it more it was a lot harder than I thought it was going to be particularly I... to, to yeah. create in that format when you're using other people's work to create and express and reflect what's happening on the dance floor, that's,
1: that's it can give you an appreciation for context. Sure, because I think it's people. It kind of goes, it happens, and you know when you feel like a song is misplaced. Uh huh. It has a lot to do with context, you know, and transition. Those things are are as important in conversation that people don't become aware of. You know, again, saying a conversation might be a lost art. You know, a lot of you know it's wrong when you hear it. Because of context and transition, but you just, you didn't care. You were just dismissive of those things. And I learned that because my my mother and my stepfather are are amazing Republican capitalists. And their son, the DJ, just represented (laughs) a great opportunity for them to make money in their entertainment company. Because my stepfather is a performer. He's a vocalist. And he's really gifted as an entertainer. He's a great entertainer. And he had uh, a company... My mother was more corporate, formerly corporate, comptroller, accounting kind of person, background, hotels, big hotels. Um, And when she retired from that, she kind of, I guess like I'm saying, I might have learned it from her. She decided she wanted to be a wedding coordinator, having coordinated large-scale startup resort hotels. Like Mm -hmm. the Ritz-Carlton bought a new property, and they need her to go in and finish everything make sure it's done right hire the right people keep the money down she was managing all of it she decides she wants to go and be a wedding coordinator she just jumped in and she felt like she had understood how to apply her skill set in that fashion and felt like it would be a good way to promote her business her husband's talents and also to kind of make that entertainment business less of a shell for just providing him a way to be on stage because his ego does need that but it also she saw that as an opportunity to have multiple entertainers multiple things that they could offer and she would be coordinating it all and that's what she likes to do be in the controller seat and she's good she's got keen sensibilities and i'm i'm grateful for everything she kind of instilled in me she's not a very maternal person she's a more of a Kind of a guru. Imagine your mother was a guru. <laughs> not sentimental. Not really sweet. Mm-hmm. More, but more like giving you a skill set that's really effective. You know, reading people, conversation, those kinds of things. And she cares about refinement and intellect and you know uh, vocabulary.
0: I'm still waiting for the contradictory to, to uh, maternal. She's hard like about it. It felt okay. like you were in a like a like a school. <laughs> you know, what I mean, it
1: was it was militant almost, but uh, it was a good thing. Um, and she became maternal. Hey, you lady. turned
0: out okay. We uh, like you.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Uh, she helped. I did a lot of it, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but she she started putting me to work. She asked me. Uh, they both asked me if I would be willing to be a DJ for them to sell for whatever needed the DJ. And so their company was uh, formerly Palace Productions. That's they like white and gold and things that have palace or something royal in them. And okay. They like that. Uh, you know, so uh, he sings his name is Paul Salos. Look him up great YouTube videos You can see him audition for America's Got Talent and he ended up going Top ten uh, that year I think he made it to number six and they caught him But they did give him part of the show in Vegas and he got a lot of notoriety about it The guys travel worldwide. He sings exactly like Frank Sinatra He's incredible. I I can't stand Sinatra Uh, but I can tell you he's amazing at it. And, uh, you know, he, they put me to work, you know, they put me into this different environment where I got to see the juxtaposition of DJ at a club and at a party. That was the fun stuff. I got to be in these really pivotal moments where you realize the, the kind of impact you can have positive and negative when you're in charge of the mood of the room at a wedding. And it's and people are taking it seriously, so I did like thirty weddings in three or four years where I was going to these people's homes and they would give me long lists of music that they wanted to hear, and you know for me it provided me an opportunity to buy music, so I had this really great collection of sure. everything from country to techno to rock to dance whatever, and I would have to go and be master of ceremonies and. DJ so I would announce all of the different functions first dance father daughter dance cutting of the cake so I was really there working with the wedding coordinator Mm -hmm. and I was the voice of that event and if I screwed something up musically you could I would hear about it from parents or you know people who had spent a lot of money for their daughter's wedding you know and they there were plenty of times there was one time where I totally forgot I had a job I didn't show up. That was a growing experience. <laughs> so you know, there it was. It was really early in my life where I kind of had this already independent contractor vibe: job to job, group to group. This is your job. Finish it. Move on to the next. And and being able to go out and sell yourself like that, you have to be able to connect with them. Home, yeah, yeah. And and the reward. I I, I never thought of it until now actually that you bring it up the reward of seeing somebody so happy that you pulled off a perfect night that you made it electrifying that you kept people happy and dancing and just thinking you were a magician (laughs) and being able to read them. I've had those nights too. And people who invite you at home after, you know, like, Oh, we're going to an after party. You should come, you know, and you're like, I'm just the DJ. But they would invite me over and they would be incredibly friendly and welcoming, and they were lovely, you know. And it was cool to see that in people and feel, even if it was misplaced maybe a little, uh, feel a little that, kind alcohol of, that kind of gratitude, <laughs> but still nice, you know. And so, to some level, it's a lot of what I get when I go into somebody's house and I can recognize that these people. Work their asses off for not enough money, and their house is kind of the same house that every fucking person buys. And they're like, you know, I just, I just want to buy this cheap tile, and I just want to make my bathroom something nice, you know, make me happy. And they, you know, they got the kids, and you know, kids are great for everybody who has kids, but you know, kids are screaming and demanding, and husbands demanding, and jobs demanding, and. You know, they just want something to go right. They just want one thing to go the way that they expected it to. And when you finish something beautiful, when you keep... And and look, I'm telling you, I've taken a loss at things I've done extra. It's just work. you know. At some point, you boil it down to, okay, I'm going to get paid. I'm going to eat. I'm going to have profit. Could I have profited exponentially more in certain cases? Sure. But... I'm a bad businessman when it comes to certain things. I don't give a shit about that. When I get the reaction of somebody loving the shit out of something mundane, like a vanity, right? I made a vanity glow with light. I found an interesting way to do it because they let me make their cabinet. And it made her so happy. She sat down and looked at the thing for 45 minutes. It's a vanity. And she calls me later she's like, I love it so much. I love it. I love it. I love the light. I love the dimmer. And, the incredible satisfaction. She's a teacher. If that were to be sold to her, it would have been thousands, thousands. She wouldn't be able to do it. You find the stuff online, just price it yourself. And to be able to give somebody that, I got the experience. I'd never made one before, right? But I figured it out. It provided me funding to educate myself. And I wasn't going to give her a half ass product. Once I decided I'm going to learn how to do it, I'm gonna learn how to do it. I'm gonna figure it out. And I'm gonna make it work. And then when I made it work, it was I made it perfect. As fast as best as I could. And then when I delivered it, it's a one of a kind item. A hundred percent personalized for her bathroom. Nobody else has it. And every time she has a party and people come in there, and at the time I didn't think this was gonna happen, but now when she has a party, for years she has people look at my vanity. Yeah. And they like, oh dude, you gotta give me that guy's number. And then it comes back to me. I've made tons of money from people who were drinking and having a good time when I wasn't even in the room and saw this. And I heard her say, He was so sweet. I trust him. He'll, you know, he'll help you do something great. It'll be fair, it'll be honest. I never have a worry about my conscience ever, you know, and that there's something to that. I I think, you know, in comparison to people who might do things that are trivial for money uh, and i'm not being salacious about that i'm just saying mm-hmm. there's a lot of miserable bankers who are fucking rich and hate themselves there's a lot of people who are stuck in a cubicle prison that they just don't have the courage to run away from because they don't know the first thing about trying to make money from a, a, an abyss and what can i do what do i what trade do i have to sell those things are empowering experiences. That uh, you know, I think that when you're independent like that, even if you're, you know, whether you're an insurance salesman, when your job is a case by case scenario, there's something liberating to that, and that, that's why I stuck with it. Um,
0: it sounds really beautiful, but that's that's just listening to those.
1: Similarly, like, you know, it's the satisfaction part. It's there's times it has sucked greatly, but. When you hit something home and you deliver something beautiful, you you made something. You left it in the world and people love it all the time and it's part of their home. And to this day, to my friends and to my family members, I tell them everybody gets one. You fly me (laughs) up there, you pay for my food, and I'll do one big thing that you want to do to your house. And in one case, I've done two or three things for them, but... That's just uh, like visiting very like cool.
0: Well, do you have a do you have a website or anything, Charlie? Can you you have know, you, given a few plugs out there for <laughs> other folks today? Marketing like, people, you know, I mean, it's maybe coming. it's in the event that this reaches across the country to where you're, uh, you're gonna going to land. To okay, that's great. I made I, I, I've really, uh,
1: I've made my first uh, marketing call to a, a good friend of mine who's a experienced marketing grad. And is going to help me do the website, the Facebook presence, all of the things we that are staying tuned. I do not really want to do. But she's going to do it for me. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'm going to have a, a good existence. I'm going to try to focus a lot on the concrete creations. There are other people doing it. I'm not by any means uh, trying to do some, like reinvent the wheel. What I am trying to do is to make the wheel much more affordable for your kinda of, I just wanna upgrade the life of people so they have a different perspective of how to be happy. You know? Stop stop trying to buy the bigger house and just make your house better mm-hmm. bit by bit. You know, find a way to make that room a little bit bigger or more little, fine more, tuning. I mean, Maybe it, it. it sparkle refinement. <laughs> Refine that house. Refine yourself. You yeah know, grow and, and make it individual. I think that's what people end up discovering is when they can make it their own. And it, and you're not you're kind of a little outside of the guidebook, you know. Here's my Pinterest image. Now we're gonna fine tune that to, for you, you know. Yeah. It's things like that. I I, I I get a little turned off by the only customers that turn me off are the customers that just want exactly the carbon copy of something they saw. Like they, they that's all that's gonna make them feel better is. And that's, you can critique me. They have me. that exact one. Like right. That. You can critique me, but I'm really big into customizing it for you. I don't want to, I, I'm not really interested in, in uh, you know, installing a, a hotel suite in somebody's house. Right. And a lot of times that's, you know, there has, I feel like there's something missing there. You know, it's a little too cold.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, it has to be a little personalized. And I think that comes from my mother, too. Your house has to say something about you. And even if you don't mean it to, it will. But you can control what, that message, right? What
0: did your house say about you, Charlie?
1: My? If, yeah, if we walked house? into your house, what did your house say <laughs> about you? <laughs> then I should have finished it a long time ago. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I think that's I'm pretty standard. It's like
0: craftsmen. Yes. Like, like, all of my dad's houses, all of the houses we lived in, were never ever finished. <laughs> yeah. it's true. Yeah, but it's, 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 so it's awesome. It, but it's great.
1: Well, it's funny know. because it's part of the discussion for yeah. my next home is let's just buy something done and not fuck with it. Let's just buy it nice.
0: After you're just now espousing like the the greatness of you know making it your own and making except it different. Except for living in it. Except... except for living
1: in it. Yeah, my poor wife. And, you know, and the sad thing is, I think the trick about it is when you're a visual person. You see the final product, yeah. Even when it's nowhere near the final product, the ladder's there, the shits everywhere, and you're like, "It's gonna be great." Oh, it'll be great. I don't feel like doing it right now. <laughs> I'm gonna go play FIFA. You know, it's like, <laughs> and that happens for three weeks, and yeah. then you're like, "Shit, I should have did that. Why didn't I do that?" You know, it, it just yeah. goes that way. Uh, my wife would tell you for sure, um, but, and it's hard for her too because she. I come home with pictures. Look what I made. I just finished this glorious huge bathroom. It's fantastic.
0: She's like, "Did you see ours?" Yeah, I was Did just oh, seeing. <laughs>
1: we could use the other one. It's cool. It's all good. You're gonna get clean.
0: Well, maybe uh, in the event that we we uh, travel the red room out to to visit you, we can get her perspective on that. I, I think she a you think whole empty would...
1: house. We could have some fun with it. We well, could make some, some recordings in that place. <laughs> uh, I plan on having a, a a lot of good gatherings there in the next few weeks, especially. But yeah, I I do have an unfinished house like every craftsman I think
0: that's You're awesome right. sounds about right
1: yeah but that's what I do I I, I I can't say anything I'm grateful for it I'm grateful for the hard work it's uh it helped us survive through a very tough time uh with my wife uh which is a different story but it you know I've always been very I like that it grounds me when I was a kid and I, like we were talking about earlier people sometimes mistake that I definitely have an ego uh, and sometimes with some people mistake my confidence, the working your butt off for a living is a great way to humble an ego because you, you discover your limits and you discover having to push past some certain things, pains, discomforts, tired, and, and having to own up to being responsible to a totally different person where if you really, this is their home, you fuck it up. It's a big deal. So I do get – just to kind of wrap that, that note up without talking about it forever longer, I'll say this. The, a lot of the honor and respect I get out of it and I try to pay forward to people who do work like that is because it feels – and going back to what I said about connecting with my, my grandfather, it feels like laborers and tradesmen and craftsmen were – like revered differently than they are today 80 years ago 80 years ago that was something that was a respectable job an honest living you remember hearing things like that and it was all about people who worked hard and kept doing it you know and didn't give up you know and nose to the grindstone all that stuff you know and nowadays uh those guys are often, in, in, in big references, you know, when you're talking like politically or, or or even just kids growing up, they look down on that guy. They feel like, the, you know, if you're not graduating from college and on your way to making six figures, there's a large group that feels like the idea of just, you know, I, I think I'm going to start a small business and work on homes and do like renovation. And uh, renovate some bathrooms, some houses. I've had experiences where I've told friends what I do, and I I remember. Wh- and I was this is the one guy I always think of when I told him what I did. He went construction. Oh, really? I think I, I think I captured that really well. Yeah, you did a really like good job. Like, <laughs> like 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 this yeah. like sh- like oh, you know this shock and, and off. Oh, and, and oddly, like I can't deal with that. And oddly oh. enough, I've had the same experience with some customers. I I've had the good fortune to work with some. Very wealthy properties, very multi million dollar homes where I got to know the homeowner and they're delightful people. I'm not, I want to be careful not to just besmirch them. Mm-hmm. They're kind, they're interesting, well to do, and they're very successful in their own right. But those are people that are, in many cases, old enough to be from the generation I'm referencing, okay? Mm-hmm. And I've had those guys walk up and after talking to me about, you know, something that they see as an intellectual conversation, right, politics or whatever, it can cover a lot of issues. I've had people walk up and put their arm around me and go, you know, why do you do this?
0: Really? You know, I'm I'm
1: dirty. I got like some stains on my clothes, you know, I'm sweaty. I'm working with my hands. I'm lying on the ground, often trying to get to something electrical, whatever. To him, it made no sense, and it was disappointing because you, know, you can't explain that in passing, right? You can't just go, "Well, let me tell you." You got like 25 minutes. Listen to my listen to my friend's podcast. You know, <laughs> uh, you can't explain when that person just doesn't get it. And and the thing that stuck out to me in that moment is it's hard not to take it as a compliment and insult simultaneously. Because to him, he's like, you're so smart and well-spoken. Why do you do this? So he's saying in his mind, the job's beneath me because I understand something or because I'm able to conversate about something that he deems uh, an intellectual topic or something that would take, you know, something that only someone who did a different, a more respectable line of work, a more white collar, maybe, I assume, kind of work. Should be doing. Why aren't you doing that? What's wrong? You know, always expecting. What drove secret. you to this? Yeah, did what, you? What happened? What? Are you an ex-con? Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's, it's like there's this air it's like, of. Wouldn't you like to What's know? missing in this equation? Right. Yeah. And I, I just, I'm, I'm always, my mind gets a little fascinated with that line of thinking, um, because it's, it's just, it kind of confuses me. You know, I, I don't really get it. I don't really get that. And, and, and like I said, I don't want to make it sound like that person is uh, dumb or, or heinous or, or a terrible person because they think that. I'm just representing that there are times where it's come from multiple generations in different fashions, but the same message is there. Construction? you know like you're so smart. Construction? you're so well spoken, you know and it's always like, well, let's think about what you're saying there, right? Like, like the first time. If you you're have a, time,
0: we could sit down and hash this out. <laughs> I'm so well spoken, right? That let's really go into like it. Like the
1: attorney tells you that two plus two is yeah. four, and you're like, "What? You're honest? <laughs> no. You know, like yeah. it's just a weird. Uh, it's one of the things I can't really understand, but I think it, it's a good way to describe what people who work their butts off and work in construction, whether they're building homes or whether they're uh, you know, anything that has to do with taking a physical risk and and creating something in the world is a lot more demanding and difficult than I think we talk about in regular circles. And I think it deserves a little more respect than it gets. I think that there's a lot more impact there than people give it credit for. And uh, you know, maybe I'm missing a large group of people who don't think that way. But uh, those times are, you know, I never. I guess it doesn't stand out to me when people are like, "Man, you do a cool job," right? That doesn't stand yeah. out as much as the other thing.
0: But well, there's that's a conversation we actually can delve into it another time too, because I, I'm son of, of a contractor. Right. I did all that work with him my whole life growing up, and again, an instance where the man was incredibly well spoken, very well educated. Yeah, that's that's not to say it doesn't go hand in hand with that. And what a craftsman well, and artisan that that's he was, sort of also. My point. You Thank know, you for like using the word artisan—that's my, <laughs> my company. You know, so I, yeah, I, that's
1: I, I think that's true. I think it really does speak to that. You know, and you're, I'm glad to know you you have that example. Uh, and I think people who are related to that have it. My wife's father was a, a labor landscaping professional. You know, really cared about the environment and wanted to get involved. That's what he did for a living, and he was great at it. And, you know, she saw the man work, you know, and I think that that's I think there's something to that, you know, so I, I do kind of get maybe I'm biased, but I do a little get a little worried about a guy who's never, ever <laughs> done something physically <laughs> built anything that guy's suspicious. <laughs> Like, we,
0: we should invite that guy And we'll ask him We'll get his point of view as well Yeah I, I, For some
1: reason I just thought of uh, Woody Allen I don't know why But I just thought of Woody Allen I don't think Woody Allen's ever lifted a hammer about at I
0: don't know why It's well, total me... bias assumption. <laughs>
1: it, it lit, throw in your, your, your judgmental calls On me I deserve it But I definitely think Woody Allen Has never built anything I don't. I well, you know, except for an amazing career.
0: Film is yeah. is something to create, though, right? Absolutely. Although that's, well, we started the conversation Absolutely. off uh, talking about different perspectives, and yeah. you know, seeing what other people had to say and listening to the conversation. So let's get someone down here, and great. we'll get their point of view. Yeah, no,
1: I mean, look, <laughs> and that's exactly what I mean. Is I, I admire people who have any craft. Sure. For, him, for Woody Allen, obviously it's film. A little funny there uh, but you know for other people but never picked up a hammer it's or or you know a holster for a sledgehammer those kind of things when you when you have a passion and you care about it or you're doing it for somebody else like he's making that one for himself but let's just imagine the satisfaction he would get by bumping into somebody who cared about it as much as he did but didn't have the skill set to do it and then he creates it for him Maybe for a lot of profit, maybe for not a lot of profit, maybe for no profit. Mm-hmm. But he gives it to that person. That person satisfaction with that thing is such a great moment to feel good about yourself. You know, you, and they're yeah. going to keep it, and he's going to wear it from time to time, and he's going to love it every time he wears it. And he's going to, you know, he's going to talk about the guy who made it for him, and you know, it's there's something in that that goes way beyond. Uh, I think there's a value there. Beyond its, uh, you know, numerical petrol dollar your uh, earnings quotient. Sure. You know, uh, uh, it, it, so, you know, that's, there's a that's human value. Yeah, there's it, a human yeah. value to it. So, sorry yes. for talking about that so long.
0: No, no, um, you know, not at all. I'm actually, as you were saying that, and even though we're only like six podcasts in, I'm already thinking we should have a podcast greatest hits. <laughs> <laughs> we can get garmo in here and you and Mike and everyone sitting around the table, and just, you know, and and after your trip, if you get an opportunity to listen it's, to the others and yeah. you get to listen to his I will. And, and he'll listen to your, I think it'd be fun. But uh, yeah. So let's, uh, let's tie it up. Let's put yeah, a bow on okay. it for tonight. Right. What, what, uh, what parting thoughts and sentiments do you have?
1: You know, I think that the, I guess I want to focus on the I'm really caught up in the atmosphere of being locked away in a little room face to face with another human being you're a great listener uh, I feel awkward that I've talked so much even though I know I'm a guest there's things I want to ask of you too you, you know? can interview me next yeah, time How I, about I think that? that would be a good thing for your guests too is give them a, get, like we were talking about segments before mm-hmm. maybe it wouldn't be a bad idea to roll reverse it and say alright let's put me on the stand for your questions and and because i mean it almost i always feel guilty i've talked about all this stuff about djing and construction and, and i stuff
0: wanted like, to that's what i wanted I to talk i, I wanted know. to hear that story this is about collecting I stories bet. but I,
1: th- I and i think it's a good thing um, but i do think it would be good to interview you too uh that previously mentioned artist in louisiana brooks frederick he is also a very faithful person one of the one of the people on the planet that I just uh, admire his faith. I can't say that about a lot of people. He is very honest and pure about it. Now, uh, I have my own problems with that whole thing. But he gave me a book that I'll recommend to everybody, and it is similar because we talked about you adding the commentary after the fact. It actually has that kind of effect. It's a really interesting book. It's a little paperback. It's not a story per se, it's a collection of parables and small stories from different religions and different cultures from around the world. And it was collected by what is at the time of the books publishing a Catholic priest, but he wasn't a Catholic priest until he had sort of traveled the world and studied these things. And he, in the prologue, he comments on it being, uh, I think he refers to it as wandering in mystical ways because he was searching for these kinds of things. And he found his way to what he said, i found my way to my home which is the catholic church but i encourage you to find your home like he wasn't trying to convince you to be a catholic yeah so brooks gives me this paperback book and and in it is a uh, like the first one was about a little you know 12 line parable about a student and a teacher and why doesn't the teacher tell the student about the meaning of the lessons and the teacher's reply is why would a why would I offer you a piece of fruit and then masticate it before giving it to you, right? Like trying to say, <laughs> but, you know, the juiciness yeah. is in learning. But what this guy did in every parable is at the bottom of the page, um, upside down, he had his conclusion, like what he drew, the meaning he drew from that little parable. And he did it at the bottom and he encouraged you not to read it. He's like, you should go through this book
0: and then go and back.
1: read these stories and draw your own meaning. Think about it. Let it kind of really get in your head and draw your own conclusions. And if you want to read my conclusions, great. And so I've given that book to other people and they will kind of, you know, they maybe they don't think that way or maybe that's just not something they like to do or maybe they don't have the skill set, whatever. So they read it, but they get a lot of satisfaction from what they're being because it gives them a way to think. It nudges them in the direction of, oh, I didn't think of that, but that's a good way to look at it, right? And uh, that's a lot of what that made me think of when you're talking about doing a little three-minute, I said ten. <laughs> I'm saying three now for no fucking reason at all. It plucked that one right out of my ass, too. But you giving them that perspective is really effective, and that book is impacting person to person because of the fact that they're encouraged to derive their own meaning but if they are confused or don't get it, that person says, well, this is what I got out of it. And I'm not telling you to get the same thing, but this is what I got out of it. You know,
0: It's good to wing a little wisdom at them or just like, here you go. This is what I thought. Right. Maybe that'll spur on the conversation a little bit. Yeah. And, there's, yeah. and
1: the thing is, I mean, some of them are interesting and weird, but it's overall it's a cheap $10, $15 paperback book. It's called The Song of the Bird by Anthony Milo. Uh, you can probably find it, order it in some way digitally or something. Mm-hmm. It is a fun book to read. It's really interesting, and it'll get you to think about things to ponder or to ruminate. And, uh, you know, it, it really reminded me of what you're doing here. You know, you don't want to give everybody the meaning, but you can give them your perspective and say, you know, if you didn't get the same thing, I want to hear what you think. But you could add to them what your, your unique input is.
0: I think we'll take that. We'll take that into. Uh,
1: I'll leave you with that. Well, <laughs> it's long-winded. Sorry.
0: Well, there you have it. Uh, we'd encourage you all to find your own meaning in this. And uh, for uh, tonight in the red room, it's been Triple C and Mitch P. Good night, everybody. Good night.